All right. This morning, um, all right. This morning, um, as Barak said, we're kind of unfolding a new a sermon series that will go for a fistful of weeks, and we'll talk about um, God and, of course, Jesus as King, and we'll be looking at, at one of the most important pieces that I've been wrestling with recently, and that is that the gospel, while it is very much important for the lost, it is equally important for the redeemed. The gospel is still very much present in every aspect of every bit of our lives. It's not just something that we come through and it's like, hey, this is great news. We got saved. And then it's like, okay, the gospel is for now for other people that are lost. No, it continues to be for you. Part of the reason that we see this is expressed in scripture is, is that because we, we don't just inherit a savior, we also ask, willingly ask to follow a king. And as a king, we know that he has a plan, that he has, he has absolutely considered every aspect of everything. And we're going to see that today in Scripture. So I want you to turn with me in, in the book of Job to chapter 38. Now, this is kind of a peculiar place to pick up, and it's a famous set of verses. But I won't read the whole chapter. I'll read a large portion here at the front, and then I'll talk about a couple other excerpts from the chapter as we, as we see the morning unfold. But, but I want you to notice that when we get here, and before I read anything, that this is a pivotal moment in the life of, of, a, of a very, very important person in the Old Testament who has had life-altering tragedies. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me like there's tragedy everywhere we look. In every household, and every family, and every situation, there are hard things for everyone. So if you were wondering what God was doing while you were having hard things happen, you ought to pay attention to what comes in the next few minutes. So when you get to chapter 38 of Job, if you would stand in honor of God's word. The principal reading this morning will just be the first 11 verses, and like I said, I'll then we'll read a couple of other excerpts. The whole chapter is worthy of your consideration, but for brevity's sake, I won't read all of it to you this morning. Verse number one reads this way. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment, a thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors when I said, this far you may come but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know that when we look to the scriptures, we see this beautiful unfolding of your explanation. Lord, an explanation that I suggest is, Lord, in my own ears, rare because you oftentimes are silent to our criticisms. But in this instance, you decide to speak and to tell Job and, and all of mankind where our place is in all of this. I pray, Lord, this morning that we would, not, we would not miss this opportunity to see just where we fit in, that you should be firmly seated on the throne of, of all of eternity, not just because you are, but because we need you to be that in our own lives. 
I pray this morning that before we leave here, Lord, that we would have bent our knee to the King of Kings. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And in this, in this opening passage, uh, there has been a lot of dialogue. And if you're familiar with the book, and a lot of people out there, they either love Job or they hate it. They, they can't wrestle with its truths or they, they, they can't help but wrestle with them. They either completely endorse it or they, they reject it in wholesale. And I understand you might be on either side of that this morning. But in Job's situation, he's had loss, personal loss, intimate loss in his life of his own. He has struggled with the, the reality that, that his friends think that there's something he's done wrong. And if I could unpack the whole of the story, I would tell you this, and I'm going to give you just a couple of things to think about. One of the things we learn when we read this book is that you can't always take the reverse of a truth and apply it and make it true. And you say, what does that mean, Brother Ben? Well, what that means is, is that oftentimes people will say, if bad things are happening, then you must have done something wrong. And we learn that that is inaccurate in the book of Job. Okay? And I want you really to marinate on that. Just because things are hard doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. Now, I'm not letting you off the hook. I know you've done some things wrong. Okay? You know how I know? Because I'm one of you, and I do things wrong too. And we're not perfect, and there's no one here yet perfect that I know of. So, God bless you. But if you think that the hard tragedies in your life, that that's, that's some kind of measure of God's anger on your life, you should read this whole book. Because after all this conjecture about his life between him and his friends, they get to this part where a young man steps up and he says, hey, you guys don't hear God right. And you don't measure him right. And you don't understand him right. And after all of that dialogue happens, then God begins to speak for himself, which is a rarity in scripture when he answers in this much dialogue for the next couple of chapters. He just lays it out. And he makes a, a, a defense of himself is such that if you have not marked this as the most important passage of Scripture in your Old Testament, then you are missing it. Because he begins with this most powerful statement. It says, Out of the whirlwind he said, or and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, I don't have any know-it-alls in the room, do I? I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm, maybe, I need to, maybe I need to back up from this one. I know that it's kind of gardening season. There might be some fresh produce out there. You might throw things. I, as a pastor, I am too, typically well-versed, and, and people come to me and they expect me to have an answer, but oftentimes people have answers for me, and they have all the answers, and they know everything there is to know about everything, right? We don't have any of those people here, though, right? Praise God. The expression is, is where, I, where, where I was kind of in my, in my early days in preaching, in the midst of a, my first church, first full-time pastorate, there was, a, there was a lot of corn, and they said, no self-appointed fruit inspectors, meaning that you're not allowed, you know, to inspect the fruit yourself unless somebody's asked you to do it. But oftentimes we fall into that category, and Job, has, has, he has declared his righteousness to his friends and to his community and God is like, why are you talking? What do you know? I'll never be more, more slapped in the face with this truth than when I was in a, in a mission opportunity and we were in a part of the world that had been destroyed and was being put back together in Bosnia. And so we're there and we're having this moment where we're supposed to do a number of things. We had, we had to be real careful there. It was very Muslim. And so 
you're talking to people about Jesus, but, but you're being very cautious about it. You're not allowed to talk to teenagers or children about Jesus because it's against the law to, to witness to anybody that's under the age of 18. So we, we're real careful. We did get, you know, told that there was all these things we were going to go do, and one of them got scratched from the list, and I didn't understand. And I asked somebody, I said, I says, it says on the schedule that we're supposed to go to the orphanage today. And, and we're just kind of dialoguing, and some of the team are like, yeah, that's what it says, and so we're kind of getting ready for that. And we're sitting around after breakfast with the translators, and we're talking about it, and I can tell she's, she's uncomfortable, the, the translator is, and she doesn't want to answer the question. And I said, hey, why aren't we going? It says we're supposed to leave and whatever. And she finally, after me asking her like three or four times, because apparently I know everything, she looks at me and says, we're not going. And I said, what do you mean we're not going? We were told to prepare for this. We were even talking in our training about what we should do and all the different things. She goes, I'm going to tell you why we're not going. She goes, because I've worked in and out of those orphanages ever since, you know, the war has been over. And she goes, and we bring teams here, and the teams come in, and they're only here for a couple of hours, and the kids immediately gravitate to the, to the visitors, and they become attached to them. And then when you leave, they're heartbroken, and it's a big mess, and it's a heart, it's a heart thing. So we're not going to the orphanage. And I was just completely like, wow. You know, for my, my, my finite thinking, I was like, but it's on the schedule, right? I know no one in here has a problem with that kind of thinking, right? It's the next thing on the list. We have to go do it. You know, oftentimes we think we know something and we don't. That's point number one this morning. We often believe we know what we are talking about, but we really don't. And if you're, if you're keeping notes, you're welcome to write all that down. I know it's probably the longest notes you'll write down today. But God is infinitely aware that we don't know oftentimes the measure of what we're talking about. Yeah, I just thought, man, we're going to run in there and we're going to love on some kids and we're going to leave and it's going to be a great day. And she's like, it won't be a great day. It'll be awful. And I'm tired of the awful. These kids have had enough awful. They think you're there to take them away with you and you're not. They don't understand. And I thought, wow, well, I still have much to learn. How about you? We look at the scriptures and God is very cleanly understanding in his explanation. He's very clearly stating here. He says in verse number three, now prepare yourself like a man. And I love this line. Prepare yourself like a man. I, I realize, I don't want you to get the wrong impression here. This is not me being misogynistic, okay? But when he says this, he is taking Job and putting him firmly in the place. He says, okay, you have accused me and everything else and judged yourself rightly. So now you're going to stand and you're going to hear my point. And he's like, do this like a man. And what he's saying is be grown up here. You know, that's one of the things that I oftentimes will tell people is we're grown-ups. We could talk about things plainly. I, I have a standing thing in most of the groups and the circles that I work with in the church life. You know, one of the things I tell them, if we don't agree with something, let's talk about it right here in this room. Let's not do it somewhere else. Prepare yourself like a man or a woman, and let's talk about these things here. You know, there's nothing more constructive for a church than for its church members to go out and talk about Jesus when they leave here. There's nothing more destructive for a church than for people to walk out of here and talk about all the things they disagree about with church. If you disagree with something, come and talk to me. I have broad shoulders. I don't have to like it, but I'm a grown-up. How about you? We could take it. 
I, we had children's church. They left. So if you're still in here, you're, even if you're a teenager, you're on the verge. You need to learn. There's a moment here where God is like, you're going to prepare to answer me. And he says, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Now, I, because I'm not going to preach all the way through the text of all of Job, when you get to the end of the questioning, you'll find that Job doesn't have any words. And sometimes the right answer for a man is to shut up. I told somebody this last week, I said, you just need to remember the ups. Listen up, keep up, and shut up. When I talk to my boss, I, I try to remember to shut up. Verse number four says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he begins to put this beautiful dialogue about how he designed it all. When he decided where it would sit. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Point number two is that God holds the measuring stick for the universe. I might have put measuring tape on the, on the overhead. But he, owns, he holds it, the measuring stick for the universe and for your life. And there's something that you need to know is, is that when God measures things out, it's really important for us to understand it. There's a saying, an expression that's not common, not uncommon to men. It's not uncommon to people who build things. You know, the expression is, is that you're supposed to measure how many times before you cut? Twice. Measure twice, cut once, right? You know? There's a moment when you look to God in the, in the heavens and he describes that he's measuring out all of eternity. He's measuring out everything. He's measuring the entirety of, of, of all of life. He has this, and he's like, where were you when I did this? You see, we are born into a world which we live in, and we decide that, that our current situations and our life settings, that we get to raise our fist towards the heavens and grumble at God about the hard things. And I'm not saying that he's not big enough to handle that, but I'm saying pause for just a moment and consider he has laid it all out, and he has planned it all out, and you live in the frame that he has designed. He is the king. And we oftentimes forget our place. He goes on to say, surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? I love this picture. You know, there's something that I, I, I love to talk about with teenagers and with children when I, when I work with them. I oftentimes I'll talk about gravity. Gravity is one of these crazy things, right? You're like, well, why do you stick to the planet? You're like, gravity. They're like, wait, so you're telling me if I, if I stood a little action figure up on a, on a bowling ball and I, and I threw it, that it would stay there because of gravity? They're like, no, because the gravity of the earth is holding it, so no, it, it's the gravity. You're like, but what's holding on to gravity? And people are like, wait, I never thought about this. I mean, it's one of the most interesting things of all time when you start looking at it. You're like, well, well, the sun has a lot of mass, and so things are swinging around it. And then the earth has its own set of mass, and so things are kind of, that moon is swinging around it. And you're sticking to it because it's got mass, and you're like, but what's the sun sticking to? It's sticking to what God fastened it to. And I know there's, a, you know, I got my science teachers out there that are going to be like, well, you're welcome to teach a class about this later. I will come and sit with you. You can teach me. But what I'm trying to help you see is, is that there's this picture that you're like, who makes gravity work? 
You know, gravity's a law. Most of the time we talk about breaking the law, you, you, can get, you can get caught breaking the law and you can get a ticket or a summons to come to court or even arrested and then you have to sit before a judge and there's all these things that happen in, in American society. Gravity's a law that if you break it, it punishes you right now. Don't fall down. Gravity will punish you right now. Don't try to, you know, gravity is a law. It has no jury. It has no judge. It has no executioner. It punishes you now. But it talks about that God fastened everything in its place. He fastened it so well, by the way, that in a moment when we talk about constellations, you're going to see that they are fixed in space in such a way that, they, that we have governed our, our, our ability to know where we are on, on the waters. He goes on, he says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, and I love 8 through 11, I love it, it's absolutely beautiful, or who shut in the sea with doors? When it burst forth and issued from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for, for it and set bars and doors, when I said this far you may come, but no farther. Here your proud waves must stop. I think about this frequently. I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to go to the shore and see the, the ocean or the gulf. But, you know, it's pretty amazing when that stuff gets rearranged a little bit. And I've lived through some of that. You know, when the hurricane drags the gulf of Mexico up inland several miles and the highway, you know, I-10 is white capped with water. And you're like, how is this possible? because it takes strong will and hands to hold it in its place. And the storms of life, they come and it rearranges the things around us. And you look to this and you're like, man, all the people that, that, are, that are in the world that are dealing with different things and the waves of life are coming and it's God who we lean on to say, hey, tell these waves to stop. But if you don't see him as king, then the question is, is are you asking him or are you telling him? Because I think far too often we cry out to God in our prayers and we say, God, please make it stop. But then we lose the please somewhere along the line. And we just say, God, make it stop. And we forget that he doesn't answer to us. We answer to him. And we come to him and we cry out and we ask and we ask and we ask, remembering our place. I want to skip forward. I know there's a lot here and all of it's beautiful. In verse number 19, 20, and 21, it says this. I know that's going to be a little gymnastics for the back. I just put the whole chapter in this morning. So in chapter 38, verse 19, it says, Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And darkness, where is its place? That you may take it to its territory. That you may know the path to its home. Do you know it? Because you were born then? Or because the number of your days is great? And he begins to describe this, 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 this concept of light and darkness as though it's a material that he uses. And it, it is absolutely present in Scripture. If you go back and you read Genesis 1, you'll see it. When it talks about that, he said, let there be light. And did you ever pay attention to it? several verses later that he says, then he created the sun, moon, and stars. I always tell you that, that the sun, the, the stars, that they're like light bulbs. They just, they're just vessels that hold light. They are not light that the light was created before the vessels to hold them. And it blows my mind when he talks about it here. You know, where is the way of the dwelling of light? And darkness, where is its place? 
we forget that God has called it forth and it exists because he wills it into existence. And it is to this same creator that we oftentimes will cry out and tell him, and, and, and trust me, I'm going to sting you all real quick here, so bear with me. I told my father just yesterday that I felt like it was so hot outside, it was hotter than a, a skillet in the hands of the devil. And, and, you know, the truth is, is that we're all out here saying, man, it's super hot. And we would tell God how long to make the sunlight shine and for it to cool off. And then in a couple months, we'd tell him to warm it back up because we don't, we can't be sorted out. And let me give you a little news, just, just breaking news. It's August. It's going to be hot. Come February, when you're crying for the warm, remember August. And those of you that are remembering the cold, think of February right now. It's coming. Okay? And it's due season. See, God, he has this infinite wisdom on all these things. And we come to him and we're like, he knows how much sun. You know, last year there was almost no rain. And this year it is probably the wettest August I've seen. My lawnmower is wore out. Well, maybe it's just the guy pushing it. I, you know, <laughs> the, the truth, the truth is, is that we, we look to these pictures and we realize that God is making these things. I'm going to jump to verse 31. It says, can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Maseroth in its season? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth. And there's a slide that we have in the notes. And note number three, and I'll give that to you, and then we'll look at the slide. It says, God is more than the builder. That's, that's point number three. And if we'll pull the slide up that has the picture of the constellations, it should be next. Now, most of you <clears throat> have had some basic schooling put to the point where you learned about these types of things. These images are not uncommon images. And about, you know, middle of the summer, you'll be able to see Orion over the night sky if you stay out you know, for any measure of, of nighttime hours, you'll see it. And I love that just right over, right over the night sky here in Oklahoma, you see Orion vividly. You also see the Pleiades, which is the one that doesn't have any drawing on it. It's a cluster of seven stars. And you see, you know them as the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, but they're called Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, which is the zoological term for bear. Ursa. You've always been told the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, but they're the Big Bear and the Little Bear. You know what I love about the Bible is that this Bible, this is considered to be the oldest or one of the oldest texts in all of the Old Testament, and he names constellations, and he takes credit for naming them. You see, it's God who creates and names the stars. One of the things I love about my Creator is that he knows everything, including you. And he knows what you're going through. And he knows just like these stars, which he's fixed in the heaven, which we can count on every year, every day. We can map our lives by understanding them. We see them. It was the heavens that declared Jesus is coming. The wise men looked to the heavens and they said, hey, there's a, uh, there's a new light up there. Maybe we should go find out what's underneath it. And it's amazing to me how God orchestrates all of these things. 
and how we sometimes, we forget that he's the king. You see, the gospel message of God's being king means that we can trust him in everything because he knows where all this stuff lays out. And when we're trying so hard to grasp for some bit of control in this world, we forget all the time that we could just lean on him. We could just come to him and submit to him and be in his presence and it would be enough because he's the king over even these moments, these hard moments. The last excerpt of scripture that I want to read to you today is 34, 35, and 36. It says, can you lift up your your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? I don't know about you, but I have heard my entire life having family in this part of the world come certain parts of the year where we pray for rain. Some years, you know, we, we, we are just waiting it out until the hot is over so the rain will come back. You know, last summer I told you when I got here shortly after, I don't know if you remember it or not, but I told you, I said, Oklahomans should stop praying for rain and should start praying that people would get their lives right with Jesus. Because when we, when we, we cry out to God, we repent from our sins. That's when he says in the scriptures that he will heal our land. But he asked Job this question. He says, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? I don't know about you, but we cried out to God day after day for two weeks when Harvey came over the Gulf Coast. Living in a house that was being just, just dumped on. I mean, there was 10 minutes of sunlight in the middle of one of those weeks where I just happened to be with one of the older members of my church loading some sandbags to put around his doorway. And we got just a little bit of sunlight, almost of God to say, I haven't forgotten you. This storm won't last forever. I mean, I'll tell you. I mean, moved to emotion just to see the break in the clouds. And it was brief. But whenever he asked Job this question, he's like, can you do this? He goes on to say, can you send out lightning? It says lightnings, that they may go and say to you, here we are. You know, I always thought as a kid that lightning came from the heavens to the earth, and I learned later that it was both ways. There's up and down. It's a static discharge between the atmosphere and the, and the surface, and there's this picture. You know, there's more power in lightning than your power company is capable of harnessing. And if they could just figure out how to capture any of that, you would be shocked. And God just, just does it. Did I miss something? I know everybody's like, he didn't gonna no. the, the picture. The picture, I'm 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 with you. The, the moment here we get this all this 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 immeasurable wonder of God is that we we work so hard to have so much power and so much control. And God says, just watch. I'll just slide a storm across the top of it and I'll make more power than you could ever imagine. And we forget to go to him and cry out to him. And we stopped asking him some time ago and we started telling him and we forget that he's the king. So we should cry out to him as though he's the one that controls the lightning. And 
And then verse 36, it says, who has put wisdom in the mind? Or who has given understanding to the heart? And now we're getting real because everything else has just been a display of his greatness. But when he starts talking about this wisdom and this understanding and he starts getting personal, because some of you in this place, even at this moment, are wrestling. You are wrestling out. Who is God? What is he to me? I don't understand. Or you're going through a horrible thing and you're like, God, make it make sense. I can't reconciling it. I just can't be reconciling it with all that's happening. I am incapable of reconciling it. But you see, when I look to the scriptures and I look to the Old Testament, I'm reminded that it's one whole book, old and new, and I am convinced. I am convinced that the same God who knows exactly how much sun, moon, and stars to put in the world, into the universe, into the cosmos, he knows how much lightning and rain, he knows how much water and air, he knows how much of you to make, that he is also capable of understanding exactly what you need to find him in all of this. There's this, this wonderful thought that you were placed in the perfect time because that's when God knew you would have the best opportunity to know him. That if you live now, it's because he believes that right now is the time that if he had put you any time else that you would have missed him. And that right now is the important time. And you see this passage of scripture that unfolds and he's like, the wisdom in your mind, the understanding in your heart, those were put there on purpose by our creator. So that when you hear the message of the cross, you understand it was measured out as well. That it was laid out with the perfect amount of his shed blood and life offered for your sins so that you could be saved. It's not one penny more or one penny less than you need. It's not one drop sufficient or insufficient beyond its measure. It is perfect. And if you don't see that when you see the whole, the whole of creation, then you are missing it. He wants you to know that he has put this understanding in your heart. Hear now that Jesus is the way to be saved. Understand that it is not an accident. It is not a flaw. It is not some bit of thing to stumble upon. It is intentional. And because of this, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray. I'm going to let you come if you want to come. And you can ask me about this creator who is king. And you could choose to follow him today by understanding the gift that his son offered you. But you could also come knowing that you already believe this and surrender to him, not just as your savior, but as your king. Because the gospel is for is for having a king that guides us through everything, even the hard stuff. Would you stand with me today? And would you bow your heads? Lord God, we thank you. Oh, do we thank you. That when, when things got real uncomfortable in the life of Job, that he could make a, a robust explanation of his own life before his friends and before the hearing of others, and that you would take the time to answer him so that we might have a record. Lord, that we would know that you designed all of this, that you built it, and that you laid out every single aspect of it, from the, the night sky to the sun that, that gives us warmth, 
but moreover that the that the connection between us that it was intentional that the that the universe that there is no part of it that you have not considered in your design Lord we thank you I pray Lord this morning that each and every one that are present here that they would come before you that they would cry out to you Lord first to know you and then to to submit every part of their life to you Lord, we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.